Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and I'm joined as always by emilywallace.com.au, the buying coach. How are we, Emily? <laughs> Here I am. That's like a live advertisement. It is. Um, <laughs> I'm doing very well and I believe we are in the same state at the moment, but we're at very different ends of the state. We are and, and uh, I'm getting closer. I think I'll be in the flesh next week to see you. How's that? What a treat. I cannot wait. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, look, the um, the listeners and the punters have asked for this guy to come on and share his journey, so we've delivered. We've got uh, the pleasure of Jai Ko joining us today uh, in the Facebook group, and, and I know not all of our listeners are in the Facebook group, and that's absolutely fine. I'm not a big Facebook fan myself, but I get in there occasionally, and I saw there's um, this post of Jai telling his story about his investment journey over the over the years, um, and how he's had a good, pretty good run of it, and just wanted to share the knowledge and the inspiration to for others to be able to take a bit and, and apply themselves. So we thought we'd get this young fellow on and tell his journey. So welcome, Jai. Thanks, John and Emily. It's a pleasure to have um, you know joined you guys on this podcast. I'm a personally a, a massive fan. It's um, always very enjoyable to be driving you know on my commute to to work or wherever I am during the morning and just being able to listen to you know anything about finance and property. So I love what you guys are doing. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for jumping on board. I think the biggest thing, um, particularly when it comes to property and investments, is obviously John and I talk frequently, weekly about this, but to have a real life example of what that can look like um, is something that I think people find A, inspiring, but B, sometimes relatable too, um, of someone sharing their journey of how they actually got in and, and what that journey has looked like. So I think um, really as a starting point, we would love to hear some context on what has been your money story? So from from sort of, you know, back at grassroots of, of growing up and, and what you're surrounded by, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so my parents were actually first generation Im- immigrants to Australia. So we migrated from Taiwan and money was always a little bit tough around the family. So I, I've witnessed firsthand, you know, my parents working quite hard as first generation migrants because they didn't have good English and and for them, money in the household was always quite tight. So I could see both parents working extremely hard to try and, you know, build up the family. And so from quite a young age, I, I guess I had built up good financial habits. I knew that I had to save. Um, investing wasn't really a topic, really. But my parents did, you know, by chance buy an investment property because they had some good advice from a trusted advisor. And throughout that process, I was able to see them build wealth quite quickly through buying an investment property early on because they did buy their first home in the Northern Beaches when they first came to Australia in the 1980s. 
So back then, you know, property values, if we look, you know, back in the time, they were buying houses for around three to 400,000. And in today in the Northern Beaches in Sydney, they, these houses are worth above, you know, two to $3 million. So I was able to witness firsthand just the, the compounding effect of wealth over the decades. And they bought another property around the North Shore area in Sydney in Linfield. And we eventually sold that home. And it was really from them that kind of sparked my interest for property investing because I was able to see them sell it for more than, I think, more than three times what they bought it for. And that was actually just purely by luck, by chance. It wasn't intentional. So from then, I really, you know, became quite appealed by the fact that with property investing, you can build money quite quickly. And that's why I really wanted to start. Awesome. So... Jai, a lot of success stories uh, that that people hear about and read about, um, there's, there's always something that people look at and say, "Oh, yeah, but they they were fortunate because they were um, brought up into wealth, and and this is definitely not you," um, or they had large income, so they're always able to come up with deposits very quickly. Uh, once you realise that, yeah, property was going to be for you, um, first of all, before you bought your property. Uh, how or your first property? How is your um, savings mindset? How is your cash flow management going? What sort of incomes were you on? If you're able to divulge that, just to give the listeners some some pretense, if you're sitting there listening to this, thinking, "Yeah, I wouldn't mind building a portfolio myself." Yeah, great question. I think when I when um before I even started working full time, I was always in casual jobs. I started working um, when I was 15 years old at McDonald's. That was my first job. I remember clearly my first hourly wage was $6.13. And, you know, this is this is a long time ago. I'm 32 now. So I, I remember started working and I just knew, you know, from a young age, like working to save money is really going to take a long time because saving was actually, you know, incredibly slow. Then I started working full time um, when I was around 20 years old. So I got my first corporate marketing job um, back in back in 2011. And my income at the time was around 60000 And then I started my first property investing journey in 2013 when I bought my first prop apartment in North Sydney. And my income then was around 70000 So not, not extremely high. I mean, at the time, it was decent for a grad, graduate job. So, um, so I was pretty pleased with that. And I just knew, you know, throughout the years, I'd be saving $10,000 to $20,000 at best a year. So... I just knew like if I had to save my way to wealth, it would take so long, like multiple decades. So I was just thinking there's got to be a smarter way of doing things. And the more and more people that I talked to about building wealth, because that was just naturally something that I was attracted to is, you know, how to, how to make more money, you know, smarter. And a lot of the advice that they gave me was all around, well, you should look at investing your money in either shares or property. And for shares, I just didn't really understand the concept behind it. Like I, I kind of knew a little bit, but I just couldn't really grasp my head around how it really worked. Um, so that kind of became a bit too hard. And then I just focused on property because property, you know, we get to we get to see the property, we get to feel it, we get to, you know, be able to do things to the property and be able to control it ourselves. So I naturally gravitated towards property. And that's where I started to really learn a little bit more about it and attend a bit more seminars and and you know, speak to investors who've done this, you know, done similar things. And yeah, that's essentially how how I really got in my foot into the property market was was um, you know through that. And was there a key player? Obviously, speaking to um, you know 
surrounding maybe colleagues or friends and going to learn more about property, was there a key turning point where you kind of went, yep, right, I'm ready to buy, I've got my deposit? Was there someone who was sort of helping influence that or mentoring you or did you do a lot of your own research in those early stages? Yeah, to be honest, the early stages, I was just doing a lot of my own research. Um, Obviously, a lot of colleagues at work and, and people who are a bit older than me have property, so they were kind of like my my circle of influence. Um, but I did come across a few property seminars back then that I attended and a lot of people there were, were talking about how to invest in property and I was quite intrigued by how, you know, they were fairly young, like, you know, in the, the 30s to mid-30s having multiple properties. So for me, that was uh, always a big goal to try and achieve and that was really how I, how I started. Yeah, awesome. So, um, your first purchase, if you don't mind, you know, sort of disclosing some rough numbers for us just so um, listeners can get their heads around it. Did you, I mean, obviously there's always this um, impression that you have to have a 20% deposit to get into the market. Was that the case for you in terms of your, your structure of going in for a loan? Yeah. So, the first purchase I bought in North Sydney, it was a one bedroom apartment. I purchased that for 428000 so I did have to put in a 20% deposit. So, that was basically all of my life savings. So, that took a long time to get into. So, I was, at tw- I was 24 years at that time. So, it was, yeah, basically many years of saving. Yeah, perfect. Okay. And um, what made you land on that particular area? Was that, that was mainly, you know, obviously you'd been educating yourself. Did price point come into play, like in terms of what you could afford at the time? Did that sort of dictate what you ended up buying? Yeah, it was very largely around uh, my borrowing capacity and what I could afford to buy and, and the deposit that I had. So, at the time, I was only able to afford something around that 450 mark. So, naturally, I, I gravitated towards apartments because Sydney was booming quite a lot during that period of time. And I guess I chose something that was more safer. I didn't really do yeah. enough research to look at other markets. I wanted to buy my first property in somewhere that I knew. And I knew North Sydney quite well. Like it's close to a, you know, CBD hub. There's a lot of employment there. It um, also is starting to grow in terms of residential properties. I could see there was definitely a, an increase in population growth in that area. And it had strong fa- fundamentals of, you know, capital growth in the long term. So I, so I thought... You know, if I buy here and hold for the long term, it yeah. should be okay and, you know, safer. Um, so, that's, yeah. that's really why I, I decided to buy in that first property. Most definitely. Okay. So, awesome start to your portfolio, Jai. Um, can I ask why the 20% deposit? You were essentially rent vesting or what I call free vesting, living at home and then going and buying a, uh, an investment property. Why the 20% versus the 10% when it was for investment purposes? Good question. I actually, honestly, at that time, I didn't know about LMI. I didn't know that you could borrow more and put in less deposit. I was always taught you have to put in 20% deposit. If I had known that a little bit sooner, I probably could have got into the market earlier. So, I just always thought 20% and I just went straight to a bank and that's what I was told. So, if I had knew that earlier, I think that would be an amazing gem. And yes, you're right. I was free vesting. I think I was very <laughs> fortunate to be able to to live with parents and I guess for me, I, I lived at home for as long as I could to really free up my cash flow and save up more because my long-term goal was to build up a larger property portfolio. So, I did live at, live at home up until I was 27 years old, then moved out officially. Um, and that really was a very good period where I could save a lot more, free up my cash flow and then save up for that next deposit as well. 
Awesome, cool. So, any any re- regrets or recommendations for listeners at that stage in your life where you decide to move out and and pay your own bills, etc.? I think budgeting is probably the key thing. Is when you do move out, there are so many expenses that you just unrealized, like you know, making sure that you've got a budget for if you're living in an apartment, like there, if it's your own apartment, there's going to be strata expenses, there's going to be council rates, there's water rates, all of this is now, you know, your responsibility um, and they're not tax deductible anymore if you live in that property. So, you know, just budgeting for stuff like that and obviously your expenses for general living is also going to increase like groceries, food, transports, all of that on top does add up. And I think, you know, the biggest tip is just really trying to make sure you budget for those because cash flow management is quite important. So, obviously, buying your first one at 24, I'm trying to keep somewhat of a timeline as, you know, we talk through your journey. So, 27, you moved out. Now, was that into a place that you had bought or were you continuing to rent vest? Um, yeah, so, I out? lived in North Sydney for about a year. Yep. Yeah, once I moved out of home. Yep, awesome. And so, that was in the property that you bought or it was a rental? Yeah, that was the property that I bought. Oh, awesome. Great. Yeah, yeah. And so, from there, what was your next move, your next investing move? Yeah. So, my next investing move was about three years later. So, in 2016, I purchased a property in Wynnum, which is in Queensland, so north of Brisbane. Um, and the reason for that is during those three years, I realized that within Sydney, the property market had boomed quite a fair bit. And so, when I went to a mortgage broker the second time, I was able to find out that my property on North Sydney had increased by a fair bit of value. And the most mind-blowing thing, you know, up until today, what I've realized is that you can access equity in the property. And this is something that I was never taught either, is I always thought you have to save up that 20% deposit. And I think that the, the biggest gem is when you do have equity in a property, you can release it in the form of you know, equity as an investment loan that then becomes tax deductible. And then when you use that, you can actually leverage that to get into the second property without using any of your own cash savings. So that was a massive eye-opener for me and also just a a kind of a a light bulb moment. Um, And during that three years, I capitalized on that growth, took out some equity to then purchase that property in Wynnum. And for that property, I did use a buyer's agent because I wasn't comfortable with buying interstate. I've never bought interstate before. I couldn't even see the property, so I thought, you know what, I want to engage someone who knows what they're doing and, you know, also learn about the whole process as well. I was happy to almost treat that as an investment expense and to be able to learn through that process. Awesome. So, what I'm hearing here is you didn't get a golden handshake from your parents. Um, you didn't really have the education or knowledge and, and three years into your investment journey, you still didn't have a full co- concept of of strategies to make really informed decision. What I'm hearing is you've just got a desire and a motivation to actually uh, build wealth that uh, you, you weren't a part of growing up. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's very right. And to be honest, the first couple of purchases, I was still learning as I, as I go through the journey. And there's so many learnings. Like I wish I knew what I know now back then. I think I would have been buying different properties. Like I wouldn't have bought an apartment in my first property, but rather looked at a house. But, you know, we, we learn each day. And I think, you know, I was, I was fairly lucky to have bought that apartment in Sydney during the Sydney boom. If I had bought that maybe today or a different market, it may not have done so well for me to actually capitalize on that equity. I think it's great to acknowledge as well that, you know, 
even a couple of years into the investing journey, you were still very much learning, which many, many people are. I think um, people associate, you know, investor with knowledge, which is, it's a growth, it's a journey as you go along. And the more you go through, the more you learn, the markets that you learn, the terminology that you learn, the strategies that you can learn. Um, So I think it's really good to acknowledge that. What we're going to do is just take a quick little break. And when we come back, um, I want to hear the, the rest of the journey from that second investment um, purchase to, to where you are now. So we'll be back in just a moment. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so we got up to um, the point that you had bought your second one in Queensland and engaged a buyer's agent to help you with that, which is music to both John and and my ears, I'm sure. Um, So what was the next step from there for you? Was that property um, a a purchase for cash flow or to grow some more equity to go and buy another one? Yeah, so for this one, because I had kind of reached close to my borrowing capacity, I I wasn't really able to buy something in Sydney for... The price point that I was after, so I was I was looking at around the five hundred thousand dollar mark, and I just didn't really see any any viable kind of options around that Sydney market. So I decided to engage a buyer's agent. They then suggested looking into the Queensland market because Queensland had been quite flat and you know hadn't hadn't had much growth for several years. And from what I've learned, they've they've kind of said you know in sometimes you can make good money in flat markets if you if you buy under market value. And so we did find a pretty, pretty decent sized house on around 600 square meters of land in a suburb called Wynnum, which is about uh, 16 kilometers from the CBD, so north, so not too far, um, but in a, in a decent area that's not too far from the water as well. And I guess with this property buying in Queensland, it was able to generate high cash flow. And so what I realized was in property investing, cash flow has been quite an important piece to understand because if you want to grow your portfolio over time, you need to be able to sustain the repayments and also all the expenses. And if they're negatively geared, then the cost of holding those properties is going to be quite high. So I realized that buying in North Sydney, 
yes, the yields were okay, but they were costing me a little bit to hold. And then I knew from the next property, okay, well, I want to try and find something that's at least going to pay itself off and maybe even put some more money at the end of the month in my back pocket. And so that purchase in Wyndham was able to do that, but also have decent growth prospects in the short to medium term. Okay, cool. So that's just confirming that was property purchase number two in Wyndham, like you mentioned before the break? Yes, that's correct. Yep. Awesome. So you went with a, uh, a buying in a flat market with also the, the ability to have some some positive cash flow. Uh, was that an interest only loan or, or if by now have you got both properties interest only or are they P&I? Yes, yeah, so I kept all my loans on interest only to free up cash flow so I could get into the next one quicker. Okay. Awesome. Okay, so what is the next one? When does that occur? So you're 27 in 2016, the way I read it. Uh, what, what happens after that? Yeah, then my next purchase was three years after that, so 2019. So I've, I've had a three-year gap in between each property purchase up until um, the third one. Um, so between the second one and the third one, what I had learnt is a lot about cosmetic renovations to add value and manufacture equity. I attended a course um, by Sheree Barber and I absolutely fell in love with the whole cosmetic renovation process because I personally love, you know, home decor and just being able to renovate. And so I did a cosmetic renovation on the North Sydney apartment that I was living in. And this was a very quick cosmetic renovation. I did it in, a, in about two weeks time. So all I did was basically repaint the apartment, rip out the carpet, put down new timber floorboards, change some of the furnishings, change the lights. Um, it had those old popcorn ceilings. So they're quite ugly. And I put, put in false ceilings. So automatically that made the apartment look quite modern. And that was all under $10,000. And once I moved out of the property, I was able to increase my rent from $450 to $500. So a $50 increase for less than $10,000 uh, rental um, renovation costs. So that was also tax deductible. So that was a really good way for me to to build up um, additional cash flow. And then when I did a valuation on that property, it was uh, increased by over sixty thousand. That's pretty impressive and certainly worthwhile. The investment of doing the the facelift reno. I think there's a lot of unknowns about you know not overcapitalizing on putting some money behind a facelift because. Obviously, you know, the time and money, two weeks and 10000 there's only so much you can do with that. And in that time period, I imagine you did um, what was best for the property and obviously being educated in how to and what to do. And I think, you know, John, that's probably a, no a mental note for an episode in itself at some point as well, not overcapitalizing on on. Uh, manufacturing equity. So obviously now that's given you a higher valuation, you've got it, um, some equity sitting in there. Did you leverage that equity to go again or did you diversify? What did that look like? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. So uh, throughout, the, throughout that time, I also had a pay rise as well. So I was working in the same company for quite a long time. And so I was just working hard to, to get promoted. And, and as I got a pay rise, I would then go back and, and see what my wiring capacity was. And then I was able to take out more equity from the North Sydney property now because of the increased valuation. And then so I used a combination of savings and equity to buy the third property in Brighton Lasand. So that's Sydney as well. So Brighton Lasands is not too far from the Sydney airport. Um, this time around I wanted to diversify a little bit. So I purchased a two-bedroom apartment. Um, and the reason why I got back into Sydney was because I started to see the Sydney market um, started to pick up again. And I guess Sydney and Melbourne are generally the leading capital cities in Australia. So I guess for longer term growth, you know, these, these markets will always tend to outperform. 
So I had the mindset that I wanted to hold these properties for a long time, for multiple decades to come. So I wanted to get back into the Sydney market. And I learned my lesson that, you know, if bu buying apartments can still be, you know, quite profitable compared to buying houses. Um, so what I did was look at apartments that were in, in a more of a low rise to, uh, dwelling. So the first one that I bought was in a big high rise. Whereas, you know, the, 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 the one that I bought in Brighton La Sands was in a tight block of around 14 apartments. So very tightly held and, and well maintained. Okay, awesome. So you, you weren't sitting on your hands in that three year gap. You were obviously you did your reno, got some equity out, improved the cash flow of your portfolio. Um, elephant in the room once again. What what sort of wage increase were you now on at uh, at say age thirty? You, I think you started out on sixty grand. Because I think why I'm asking this question is one because you're willing to tell us, but the other one is that there are a lot of listeners thinking, well, yeah, I really want to compare um, what's happening in this journey so that. It, um, I can compare my situation to his and, and although we shouldn't be doing that, that's where we drive some inspiration and motivation because it's like, okay, Jai wasn't on 200 grand a year from the word go. Um, he, he wasn't gifted money to start off. He's actually built it all himself. Yeah. So by that time, I had hit my goal of, of getting to 100,000 for my salary. So that's when I you know, decided to constantly review my, my borrowing capacity and just look at how I can continue growing the wealth. You know, being able to leverage basically my pay rise and turning that earned income into into another income stream through rental properties. So that's yeah, that's exactly what I did, and and yeah, happy to, to be as transparent as possible about sharing figures and sharing what my income was because I think ultimately we should be empowering everybody, and you know, everyday Australians can do the same thing. Completely agree. I think that that's awesome. So three properties now. I assume you still own all three that you. Yes, correct. Before? Yeah. Yeah. And now you mentioned that you're 32 now. Have you made another purchase between? I mean, it seems like you've got a three-year theme. Are you intending to make another purchase? Or have you already made one? Yeah. So, after Brighton Lasands in 2021, so it's 2020, so last year, I bought two properties in Queensland um, and I bought these in quite quick succession. Um, so, I, I really, you know, saw opportunity during COVID to get back into the market because I knew, you know, property wasn't really going to go anywhere long term. And we always need we always need a house over our head. And I think during that time, I started to see people panic, and you know people who were financially distressed. So I did see some opportunities to buy in Queensland. And what I realised was, in property investing, there's two key resources. So the first resource is borrowing capacity. The second resource is equity. Now these two are generally never equal. So for my scenario, I had hit a borrowing capacity wall. I couldn't increase my borrowing capacity unless I increase my income and my income was capped at that point in time. So I started focusing on buying cash flow positive properties. So that just meant it's higher rental yield and these were cheaper properties. So the two properties that I bought in Queensland were in south um, southeast Queensland, so around that Logan area. Um, so there's still there's still like good houses and you know on big land. It's it's probably a little bit further away from the CBD. You're looking around um, 30 to 40 minutes drive about halfway between between Brisbane and Gold Coast. Um, but these properties were renting out. So I bought these properties for around the low 300s and they're renting out close to $400 mark. So they were able to generate more income and allow me to borrow more through tier two banks. And that's how I was able to increase my portfolio quite quickly during that time. Cool. That's a, that's a great strategy or, or great I suppose, uh, fork in the road moment where you said, well, hang on a minute, I'm at a, at a standstill here. I need to be strategic in my thinking. Did, uh, did you 
consult your mortgage broker and almost reverse engineer that to say, well, if I buy something at 300,000 and it's renting for 400, will that enable me to go again? Or did you just do the sums yourself and then go to the broker? How did that play out? Yeah, I was very fortunate to have a really good mentor and he was he was my mortgage broker and he's my he's still my mentor today. But he he was I guess during this time I had worked with a couple of brokers and most of them were quite transactional. They weren't really able to put together a strategy. They were just like, okay, well, here's the amount deposit you need to get into this property, but there was no strategic thinking about how to build a portfolio. And so when I had met my mentor, he was really because he had built up a very large portfolio himself. And he's achieved, you know, financial independence for himself. So I really wanted to learn from him. And he was able to teach me the things that he had done to build his portfolio. And and that's exactly what I just spoke about, the, the resources, you know, that you need to look at to attack which one was really the thinking and mindset change that he gave me was to look at, okay, well, what do we need to do now to get you into your, you know, fourth and fifth property and so on? And kind of, like you said, reverse engineer that plan backwards so we can really formulate a strategy. And that's exactly what I was doing. That's awesome. It's good to, to be able to have someone who can guide you in that way and also someone who's done it themselves by the sounds of it too. So, that's a, a good person to have on hand. Now, as my I'm telling up on my hands here, <laughs> you've got five properties, correct? Yes. Once you've added those two Queensland purchases. And is that the total of your portfolio at the moment now being five properties? Yeah. So, that's the total portfolio at the moment. Yeah, yeah, five properties across pretty Australia. Pretty impressive. Yeah. It's not a small amount, is it? When you look, a lot of you know, I think there's stats around the number of people who own one investment property versus two, and then after two, it just drastically drops. Not that I necessarily sort of disclaimer on that. Not that I think that you need to own ten properties to create wealth necessarily, because obviously it comes down to how those properties perform. People focus on the number of properties sometimes rather than the portfolio value and performance. But that aside, I think it's very impressive that you've managed to educate yourself, draw on mentors and leverage um, to be able to attain those five properties. So, I think that's that's awesome. Um, and I'm sure listeners, you know, are probably nodding their heads at the same time. Thinking that's, that, that's pretty cool and that it is possible. You haven't had handouts. You have, you know, you've obviously worked hard. You've saved. Um, you've gotten the knowledge that you need to be able to make this happen. Um, and that comes down to willpower and time at the end of the day, doesn't it? Hundred percent. That's it. You know, as I was building this portfolio, I think one of the, the biggest changes for me was mindset around debt, because initially when we start off investing, we just think about, oh, okay, we're going to pay down that debt, right? But as your mindset changes and you get more comfortable with investing, I think debt becomes less relevant when there's cash flow, because the cash inflows are paying for the expenses, and that's where you start to realize. Well, the more debt that you can take on means it can become more wealth building assets. Yeah, so that was a massive kind of light bulb moment for me. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point, Jai. And, and that brings me to a question that I had for you was um, a, lot of, a lot of clients say to me, well, John, I'm in, on interest only at the moment. Uh, the banks are wanting me to go to principal and interest and start paying down some of this debt. And obviously having a high cash flow portfolio allows you a little bit of breathing space. Have you actually done some numbers on uh, the banks ringing you up and saying, Jai, we want you to pay P&I on two, three, four of these properties, uh, where that actually sits? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. I, I very strategically move banks just to get more interest-only term. So, the, the most recent properties that I refinanced to, I got 10 years interest-only out of it. And so, 
for me, that's amazing because I don't have to worry about paying the principal for 10 years. And in 10 years, I can expect these properties should be close to doubling in value. I mean, if it doesn't double in value, it, it would definitely have moved up, you know, still a significant amount. So, mm. yeah, I, I think when you're trying to build a portfolio early on, the accumulation phase, you want to try and accumulate the assets um, as fast as possible because the biggest advantage that we have is time. And when you start early, you've got a longer time horizon. Mm. And so, if you can accumulate faster and pay interest only, you free up cash flow. And we all know that cash flow is the key to staying afloat. If mm. you don't, if you can't support those properties, then if you're forced to sell, then unfortunately, you've not been able to capitalize on the future capital growth. Awesome. Very valid points. Mm. So, the, the key question to, to sort of round all this out is where to from here? Um, from what I'm hearing, you're 32, maybe single, definitely no kids at, 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 on the ground. What's the, what's the next five to 10 years look like both um, personally and, and also professionally in, res, in the space of your property portfolio? Yeah, personally, I would always love to keep investing. Like I love property. I don't think I'll ever stop. I think, you know, if there are good opportunities that come up, I'll always continue. But I think personally also continuing to learn more about the market, understand more about how property investing works because there are a lot of other markets that I haven't invested in. At the moment, it, for me, it's just been mainly New South Wales and Queensland. I'd love to explore more of the other markets like Adelaide, Perth, or, you know, even Hobart, you know, there's definitely many opportunities. And what I've realized is in Australia, there's so many different markets. People often look at just the property market as one, but there's actually so many different markets. And within markets, you've got multiple suburbs and then down to suburbs, you've got street level. So there's so much that you can learn about it. And that's for me, just a lifelong approach to learning. Um, and then professionally, I really want to be able to help people do the same thing. I think everyone deserves to be able to grow their wealth and, you know, turn their hard worked uh, money into passive income eventually. And for me, that's what I want to do is to, is to, you know, have some passive income later on so I don't have to rely on, you know, super or pension and, you know, having to work for, for a very long time. And obviously, I still want to work, but having, having the opportunity and freedom to chase my passions, which is what I'm doing now is, you know, I've started my own mortgage breaking business and I'm really grateful that I get to help people build a portfolio and have that strategic thinking from the start because I think that's really important to have a goal but also have a strategy. Completely agree with you there. I think it's uh, extremely important and, and goal setting, in, especially, I mean, in any part of life, but particularly when it comes to property, you've got to have a goal in mind um, and a way to get there. So I think today's episode, I think people have taken a lot away from and seen what's possible, really. You know, your, your early 30s, it's probably many of our listeners are, are there about the same age and certainly something to, to learn from and be inspired by as well. So I really thank you for sharing with us and being transparent on numbers and, and your journey because it's um it's been really cool to learn about. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the time and having me on. No worries, Joy. No worries. But pleasure to uh, share your experiences. Thank you very much. Are you, are you looking, just quickly to finish, uh, looking to buy your own home to live in? Because I think that's always uh, on a lot of people's lips, isn't it? Yeah, that's always a common dilemma is, you know, do I buy my own principal place of residence or do I continue investing? And I think What's changed my mindset now is is my my girlfriend, she uh, works for the Defence Force and so she has to move around every two years. So, I'm, I've become more comfortable with moving around and actually don't mind moving around because you get to try new places. Um, but I know for some people, they would just want to be, you know, in the one location and have a bit more stability. Mm. But I've actually quite 
like the rent investing strategy because I get to, you know, move to a new area, um, you know, try a new house, try a new place and, you know, just enjoy the abundance that we have in Australia, you know, with you know, a lot of different nice places to live. So I think in the short term, rent investing will be the strategy that I'll be adopting, you know, continue to invest um, on the side, but, you know, renting whilst I choose to, to live where I want to be, live. And then hopefully, I think, you know, as I build a bit more wealth in the pro- in the investment properties, probably sell down half the portfolio and then maybe use the profits to then buy a principal place of residence. Awesome. Well done, mate. That's Sounds great. like a good plan. Mm. <laughs> Jai, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Uh, really appreciate your insights and uh, sharing your journey. And um, we look forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's good been a you. pleasure. Thanks, Jai. No worries. Until next week, we'll speak with you soon. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.